got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. So earlier today, Ty Ty Washington, former Kansas target, announced that he's going to Kentucky. Bryce Thompson, former Kansas guard, announced that he's going to Oklahoma State. Xavier Wheeler, the transfer point guard from Georgia, being heavily linked to Kentucky now as well. I don't know the fit. Don't really care. Like, I'm not here to figure out Kentucky's fit problems. You know what I mean? I don't care. But this is an interesting little nugget. Nolan Hickman, who is a top 40 player in the country, point guard. 6-2, former Kentucky commit. Well, his father, I love this too. The father had to make the announcement. My father. <laughs> Wait till my father finds out about this. You'll be sorry. <laughs> according to John Rothstein, <laughs> according to John Rothstein, he has, uh, according to his father. <laughs> Every time father is said, that's what I think about. Well, it's just funny to me because nobody uses the word father. No. Dad. Unless you're referring to somebody else's father. (laughs) It's like, we have to call your dad father, but nobody calls their own dad. I mean, I don't know. Are there? Can we put that up on a poll? We haven't done a poll in a while. We do a poll like once a month. Put that up on a Twitter poll. Do, does, do you, what do you call? (laughs) Do you call him father or dad? Father or that's the poll question. Father or dad? Those are the two options. Father or dad? I just don't get it. I don't get it. John Rothstein says former Kentucky commit Nolan Hickman is down to Auburn, Gonzaga, and Kansas per his father. An official announcement is expected in the next few weeks. Kansas was in on him the first time out of high school. Um, he chose Kansas. He chose Kentucky over Oklahoma, Arizona, Kansas. Um, I'm not doing this, though. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to sit here and entertain the idea that one of these recruits is going to pick Kansas. Wow. Because I've done it s- seven times. How many different names... Have we at one point this offseason linked Kansas to? And I get it. Through it's like the Royals; they've lost eleven in a row. They they had lost ten, and they just lost eleven. We got to get to eleven. This might be eleven. Might already be on eleven. Does does Gonzaga make any sense? They are loaded again next year. Yeah, that one doesn't really make sense to me. They have uh, Hunter Salas, who's like a top 10 recruit. He's like a combo guard. Um, They also have, I don't believe Andrew Nembhard is testing the draft. I think he already said he was coming back, didn't he? I think you're right. Um, Then they also added Rasir Bolton, the uh, Iowa State point guard, who averaged like 15 a game. 
She seemed pretty loaded there. Okay. Do you want the quick uh, quick blurb on this is the athletic? They've been updating their like top available players, whether it's freshmen or um or transfers. Yeah, Do you yeah, want the little yeah. Hit me with report? It. Let's right. go. He controls the pace of the game well and looks smooth in everything he does. Hickman has also shown an excellent feel for penetrating and dishing to teammates. Hickman is comfortable on or off the ball and can score off the bounce. He needs to get stronger and improve on the defensive end while curbing his tendency to take contested shots. Most analysts peg him as a multi-year college player instead of a one-and-done, but he looks ready to start for a high-major team from day one. So those things are a little contradictory, aren't they? Yeah, a little bit. He'll be around for a while, but he'll start right away. Who do they? Who does Auburn have? They have uh, because they had a freshman point guard this year that I uh, Wendell Green. Wendell Green, no, right? another guy, and he's going oh, he trans- pro. that's the guy who transferred. Okay, Wendell Green transferred from I don't know some small school. Eastern Kentucky, and he averaged 16-5 and five at Eastern Kentucky last year. Hmm. Hmm. I told myself I wasn't going to do it, but I can feel myself doing it. I can feel myself convincing myself, this kid, this kid's coming to Kansas, yeah. right? I mean, right? His, his, gosh, his father, mm-hmm. dad. No, it's just, saying it's just, the it's thing about wanting to be closer to home, yeah, makes you think it'd be Gonzaga, though. And they got another kid, another point guard who transferred from who transferred from Charleston to Auburn. His name is Zepp Jasper, and he averaged 15 points per game last year. Six one guard. I swear to God, I swear to freaking God, and I'm sorry. For taking the Lord's name in vain, but I swear to you, if both the if 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 this kid winds up at one of these schools, they both have seemingly sixteen point guards on the roster. The whole roster is point guards, and Nolan Hickman's like, yeah, I'll go be number seventeen. I'll walk on. I'll walk on and redshirt to be a point guard for one of those teams before you catch me in crimson and blue in Lawrence, Kansas. I swear, if that happens, I'm assuming nobody's ever picking Kansas ever again. Because if those are really his final three, and we're not being punked here, like Kansas is the obvious option. Both those guys have a litany of guards who have put up big time numbers at big. Maybe maybe at Auburn they're from smaller schools, but like Andrew Nimhart was at Florida before he got to Gonzaga. There is nobody that you look at at Kansas and say, "I don't know, I don't know if I can." Dude, if you come to Kansas, you are. You're, I wouldn't say you're shooing. You're penciled in as the starter. It would take quite the unforeseen circumstances to lead to you not starting for Kansas at point guard. What What am I missing here, man? I feel like we're being duped some way. Do you think he, like, meant to whoever leaked it to John Rothstein? He, like, accidentally typed, like, Kansas State, but the yeah. ST just got, like, obliterated or something. Well, that would be an odd. That would be an odd. I just don't know. I mean, we had heard from people that they got it another didn't kid who transferred. Likely. They got another point guard who transferred from Arkansas, going to Auburn. <laughs> he averaged seven points a game last year, but I mean, he didn't play a lot. 
But yeah, I don't know. From just what we had heard, that's like three guards. Hey, they that's didn't, three point guards. Three. I really think they had a chance to get him. So this is kind of out of left field for me. They're not all going to start. I get it. But again, if we go back to the beginning of his recruitment, that was mentioned before. The fact that when he picked Kentucky, like Kansas was seen as the runner-up. And that's kind of how they got uh, Jalen Wilson. You know, Jalen Wilson, different scenario, but Kansas was seen as the runner-up. Picks Michigan. John Beeline leaves the school. He reopens his recruitment. Ends up going to the school that would have would have been his runner-up. So, I mean, there's there's history for it. Recent history for it. Yeah, man, they got a lot of people coming in. They got a lot of people coming in Auburn. Do you think, okay, let's just, just for the sake, I, I want to do this little exercise. Um, the way we're talking about this with, like, Auburn, for instance. He's going to Gonzaga. He's going to Gonzaga. To be behind. That's the thing. With with the guys yes. you mentioned at Auburn, those are all, like, okay, they're transferring in, but, like, they all have questions. It's like, oh, I was at a smaller school or I had a smaller role. With Gonzaga, it's like, no, like, we have our two starting guards and we have our clear, like, third guard. You would be the clear fourth guard. So you better be ready to stick around for three years, which maybe that's something he's cool with, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that the way we're looking at it with Auburn, do you think if we were sitting here from, like, an in Alabama and we were doing a show called War Eagle Sports Talk, we would be sitting here looking at the Kansas roster going, what do you mean? You have Dewan Harris. He played a role no, last year. No. You have Bobby no. Pettiford, who you brought in, who's a top 100 recruit. Top 100? This is Kansas, man. I'm top just 100 saying, doesn't I'm mean saying, anything. No, I'm just saying, like, if we were sitting in Not the Auburn it doesn't shoes, mean anything, but you know what I'm saying. If we were in the Auburn shoes, I think we'd be doing the same thing nitpicking with what you're doing with Auburn. Really, but, dude? Come on. But Dewan Harris averaged two points a game. Two points a game. Well, contributed. He averaged two points a game. Well, don't you think that's what we should be saying about the Auburn guy then, who was an Arkansas transfer, who averaged seven a game? Yeah, who's probably third on the depth chart right now. He's probably third. The other two guys averaged like 15-plus a game. I mean, come on. We're not talking about the same things here. He's going... He's from uh, Mount Pleasant, Utah. If he truly does want to be committed, he said he he said he wanted to be closer to home. Yeah, if he Gonzaga, truly... he's going to Gonzaga. It's it's official. Well, gladly we worked through that one. Yeah, that was depressing. We had to talk it out. We had to talk it out to come to that conclusion. Hey, final great eight matchup of RCST trivia coming up here in a bit. We got our one seed. Third place finisher from a season ago, Eric, taking on the newcomer, 15th seed. Talk about an underdog, Landon Fields. This is the ultimate clash of David versus Goliath. I am so psyched to see it take place. And then after that, we've got our field of four set. We've already got a one seed, a seven seed, and a nine seed. Who's going to secure that last spot? Will it be Eric? Will it be Landon? We're going to find out here. Coming up next on RCST Trivia, you're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. Quick shout-out to all of our sponsors, RCST Trivia, 23rd Street Brewery, Sporting Kansas City, Pella Windows, Toppling Goliath, CBD of Lawrence, River Rat, Print and Skate, Jayhawk Trophy, Hawaiian Bros, and the Lawrence Public Library. Our first matchup today brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. Open for dine-in, carry-out, and catering. Outdoor patio is a great spot to enjoy the warm weather. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese. The Haney Turkey Stack or any of the great menu items. And don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery's beer, which you can get to go as well with their crowlers. 
RCST Trivia brought to you by Toppling Goliath with a brewery and taproom located in Decorah, Iowa. Toppling Goliath features 10 of the top 250 beers in the world, according to Beer Advocate. That also includes three of the top 10, three of the top 10 world beers and six of the top 100. If you're not going to be making it up to Decorah anytime soon, don't worry. You can order Toppling Goliath apparel and beer at tgbrews.com. One spot left in the Phenomenal Four, and we have got quite the show down here from the South region. A third-place finisher from a year ago, a one-seed, a guy who's only missed one question out of 32 lifetime, Eric Hansey looking to make it back to the Phenomenal Four, standing in his way, not just a 15-seed, an RCST newcomer who has pulled upset after upset after upset en route to his great eight-birth Landon Fields, Eric Landon showdown in the South region, a 115 unconventional. I don't think we've ever seen a 115 matchup in the NCAA tournament. Certainly not in RCST trivia. Landon, you've made it this far. Nobody thought you'd be here, but here you are one win away from the phenomenal four, maybe against your toughest competition to date. What's it going to take to get it done and to shock the world? Uh, you know, I definitely, I don't even think I thought I'd be here at this point. Um, what's it going to take? That's a great question. I think if we're being really honest with ourselves, it's going to take Eric just getting a question that for whatever reason he doesn't know, which is betting against the odds because he's 31 and one. Um, but uh, I- I'm feeling not too bad I'm trying to trying to cram some studying in here in the last couple days. Uh, so not feeling too bad heading into this matchup. Eric, been there, done that. You took care of business in this round a year ago. You're back here. Only one other competitor, and it's the reigning champ, Isaac, has been able to go to -to back-to-back phenomenal fours. You're looking to become the second person ever in the history, in the long, illustrious history of RCST Trivia to get it done. How are you feeling here ahead of this matchup? You know, you you get to this phase in the tournament, and you kind of just let the chips fall where they may. I think you see yourself across the bracket from a 15 seed. So you, you try to keep the boys loose and, and not take them too lightly because uh, you, you get this far, you, you've definitely won some games that you deserve to win. So um, looking forward to a, a tight matchup today. All right, so not falling victim to the, the idea of a trap game. I like that. Eric, Landon, you guys know what's on the line. Also, some new prizes on the line if you make it to the Phenomenal Four. A four-pack of Sporting Kansas City tickets, a Sporting Kansas City jersey, a toppling Goliath pint glass and hat, and, of course, a Phenomenal Four trophy. But bigger than that, you stay alive. You stay alive for the grand prize and the championship, which I know you both want so desperately. Eric Landon, you guys know how it works by now. 30 seconds on the clock. Your clock starts as soon as I get done asking the question. We will play you a five-second warning when you hear this. That means you got five seconds left. Make sure you get an answer off to give yourself a chance. We'll go back and forth until one of you guys gets one right, one of you guys gets one wrong, at which point we will have our final Phenomenal Four contestant. Eric, Landon, I know you guys are ready. Landon as the 15 seed, big underdog. But you have the option, the advantage of deciding whether or not you want to go first or second. What's it going to be, man? I'm going to stick with what's been working for me throughout this tournament. I'm going to go second. Okay. That means first question is for you, Eric. Eric, this KU redshirt freshman 
led the Hawks with 20 points in their overtime loss to Michigan in the 2013 Sweet 16. Uh, Ben McLemore. Ben McLemore is correct. Landon, first question now for you. Landon, in their 2014 NCAA tournament first round victory, what KU freshman one and done led the team with 19 points? Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is correct. Great start, boys. Back to you now, Eric. Eric, on January 18th of 2014, this KU big man set the freshman record with eight blocks to help the team earn a top 25 victory against Oklahoma State. Say 2014? January 18th of 2014. Uh, Embiid. That is correct. It was two blocks away from uh, a triple-double in that game. Okay, Landon, back to you for your second question. This former KU big man likely would own many block records, but that stat wasn't recorded when he played. Instead, he owns the KU record for most rebounds per game in a career at 18.3. What's his name? Will Chamberlain. Will Chamberlain is correct. Two for two to start it off. We go back to you now, Eric, for your next question. Eric, with 311 career blocks, this Kansas center, who played from 2010 to 2013, is the all-time blocks leader in KU history. Jeff Withy. That is right. Landon, back to you now. Ranking third on that list... With 253 blocks from 2008 to 2010 is another center who would go on to be a first-round pick after his junior year. What's his name? Cole Aldridge. Cole Aldridge is correct. Okay. I feel like we've been giving these guys layups. They're not even sweating. I want to see somebody break a sweat. It's the, it's the grade eight, for goodness sake. Come on. Eric, Landon, the 115 showdown. I want new music. I, this is too light. It's too fun. It's too bubbly. Come on. High stakes. RCST trivia. Back to Eric now for question number four. Eric, the last two seed that KU played against in the NCAA tournament came in 2018 against who? Oh, what was Duke? It's either Duke Nova. I'll go Duke. That is correct. Duke was the two seed in that region. I believe Nova was a one seed, right? That's right. All right. Stuck with your gut. Worked out, Eric. Good job. Back to you now, Landon. Landon, KU has only lost to a five seed one time in NCAA tournament history. It came in 2019. To who? Auburn. Auburn is correct. All right, the music's not doing it for you guys yet. I guess we'll have to just move up a difficulty level. Maybe this will be what does it. All right, Eric, back to you. Eric, in the 2014... Second round loss to Stanford in the NCAA tournament. 
Only two Jayhawks ended in double-figure scoring. Name one of those two. For some reason, I think Jamari got there. Did Camp get the other? I'm going to go Jamari trailer. You're thinking of the first round game. First round game, Jamari was great against, I believe it was Eastern Kentucky. It was Tarek Black and Connor Frankamp. Tarek Black led the way with 18 points. Connor Frankamp with 12. All right, Landon, you get this right. You're moving on. Landon, prior to KU's final four loss in 1993... Who did they beat in the Elite Eight to get there? Nineteen ninety-three, you said. Yes. Syracuse. Correct answer is Indiana. Indiana in 1993 before going on to lose to North Carolina. Okay, both you guys still alive. Eric, you've only missed two questions all time. We just heard one of them. Well, lightning strike twice. All right, Eric. We go back to you. Eric. What KU player on this past season's roster ended the year with the most total career points in a Jayhawk uniform of the players on the roster last year? Which player had the most career points? Marcus Garrett. That is correct. 984 career points. Ochai right behind him at 920. Landon, back to you. What KU player on this past season's roster ended the year with the most total career three-point makes? Oshai Baji. Oshai Baji, 147 career threes. Back to you now, Eric. The question's getting a little bit more difficult. We got to find a winner somehow, some way. Eric, who missed the half-court heave for Memphis at the end of regulation of the 2008 National Championship game that would have won them the game? Oh, it's that tall, skinny dude. Not one of the big guys or the big names. Dozier. That is correct. Robert Dozier, the big man, missed that shot. KU went on to win that game in overtime. All right, Landon, we go back to you now. Another Memphis big man on that team fouled out 
in the national championship game against Kansas. Who was it? I was seven when this game happened. <laughs> Johnson. I don't think there was a Johnson on that team. How many other, let me ask you this, and <clears throat> you said you were seven. How many other players on that Memphis team could you name? Uh, one. <laughs> okay. Close. Yeah. That's it. Um, That's all I got. Joey Dorsey. Joey Dorsey was uh, the Memphis big man who fouled out in that game. And Landon, like that, you are eliminated. Eric, you are moving on. Eric going to back-to-back phenomenal fours, making history here on RCST Trivia. You were dead to rights, Eric but you somehow pulled out the victory and you're moving on. How's it feel? Uh, my palms are a little sweaty, if I'm going to be honest. Well, just like that, you're moving on. Eric, Landon, how's it feel coming off that loss, man? Uh, you know, it's tough. I accomplished what I wanted to do, though. I wanted to at least get uh, three, four questions correct uh, against, you know, the all-time uh, question leader here in uh, RCST Trivia. So uh, I came what I or I accomplished what I wanted to do. Also got a Hawaiian Bros gift card. Not mad about that. So. It's, it's been a blast. Well, congratulations, Eric. Landon, thank you so much. You were great. Guys, appreciate you uh, finishing off, off the right way. Yeah, no, thank you. Good luck, Eric. RCST Trivia is brought to you by Pella Windows. Pella Product of Kansas is your one-stop shop for all your window and door needs. Pella offers everything from turnkey window and door replacements to experts in the field that can work with your contractor and find the perfect solution for that project to make your house feel like a home. Whether you're building a home, taking on a remodeling project, or simply want the best replacement solution, Pella Windows has all your answers. Stop by the newly remodeled showroom on the northwest corner of 6th and Wakarusa, or call 785-749-4808. Don't hesitate. Appointments are filling up fast. Have you still not heard MLS is back and Sporting Kansas City is back in action? After finishing first in the Western Conference last season, Sporting KC is back in action and hungrier than ever to paint the wall. The best part is you can watch Polito, Russell, Busio, and the rest of our boys in Sporting Blue live in a limited capacity crowd again this season. To attend a match in person, go to SeatGeek.com SKC and be sure to use code SKCRCST at checkout to receive an exclusive discount just for being a Rock Chalk Sports Talk listener. Again, use code SKCRCST at SeatGeek.com SKC before it's too late. So we know the staff for Kansas football, and it's been rumored for about a week now that I guess you could probably could have deduced a long time ago that Lance Leipold was going to bring over his OC and his DC from Buffalo, considering he'd been with them for so long. But now official, Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator, I let off with him because I know how to say his name. Maybe our next guest can help me with the OC's name. Scott Chasen of Fog.net joins us in studio. I, I believe the first post-pandemic or after the pandemic began in-studio guest. Maybe I'm missing one somewhere along the way, but Scott Chasen in studio with us, offensive coordinator Andy K, Coach K, 
Yeah, that's what we're going to call him Coach K. K. Yeah. Do you know how to say his last name? Shashevsky. Just uh, Andy yeah, okay, so I actually tracked down the pronunciation today because I was watching some video interviews he did, including with one, uh, a guy who claimed to be um, a good friend of Coach K, as we'll call him, but then proceeded to mispronounce his name, and I didn't know which was right and which was wrong, but I assumed the guy who called him a good friend had it correctly, and he called him Coddlenicky, and so I sent a text to KU's media staff and said, I have not heard this before. Is this correct? Mm-hmm. And I was told, uh, no, that is not correct. It's Kotelnicki. So Kotelnicki. Kotelnicki is the pronunciation I've been given. It's what I'm going with until someone tells me otherwise. Who has, who's been the longest tenured offensive coordinator post Mark Mangino? Do you know that off the top of your head? That's a really tough question. We're talking months difference here, I would imagine. I don't know. Thinking back, my time covering the team, which was like right at the start of the David Beatty era, maybe the end of, yeah, the end of Charlie Weiss. Actually, I remember some press conferences. Uh, man, Rob Likens and, oh, who was the other one? Uh, Doug Meacham. Doug Meacham. They were, I would have to imagine, longer than any Les Miles coordinator. Well, for sure, because Les Miles was two seasons and four coordinators. Yeah, David Beatty had some. Longer stints, I guess the first one. I guess if we if we add up the two David Beatty stints, he yeah. might take the cake there. Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. It's crazy to think about how Lance Leipold was like continuity, continuity, continuity at his opening press conference. And Kansas has been anything but that. In fact, I had a conversation today with one of our, uh, our Midwest lead recruiting guy, Alan True, and I was just asking him, how long does, like, do you think this staff will stay together? And he pointed me in the direction of Minnesota, of Iowa State, in terms of how you can take a staff, move it to a Power Five, and, like, keep it together. And that's just so foreign. If you're a Kansas football fan, I mean, you've gone through, what, three offensive line coaches in the last few years, four Mm -hmm. uh, offensive coordinators, uh, what, multiple linebackers coaches, multiple special teams coordinators, multiple tight ends coaches. I mean, do you remember— what, Mike Eckler, Jeff Hecklinski? Yeah. I mean, these were assistants from the first season who just, you know, even they were gone. So, yeah, four OCs. You don't, four OCs in two years, is that, that's got to be a record. I love falling upwards. Not falling upwards, but maybe just the idea that being at Kansas doesn't necessarily highlight your strengths, or at least it hasn't in recent history. Do you know uh, Clint Kubiak, Gary mm-hmm. Kubiak's son, who was the wide receivers coach, I believe the first wide receiver coach under... David Beatty, I think. Sure. He is now the offensive coordinator, going into his first season as the offensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> of the Minnesota yeah. I love that. Well, he's not the only guy. Now, obviously, he has some family ties, but, I mean, what? Like, Doug Meacham just, like, went straight back to TCU and started calling plays. Garrett Riley, who got demoted at Kansas football from quarterbacks coach to, like, tight ends and fullbacks. Uh, what is the offensive coordinator for like SMU and had like a terrific year last year? Charlie Weiss's kid. What's he up to? Charlie Weiss Jr. He was like the offensive coordinator USF, for Florida right? Atlantic Florida with Atlantic. Uh, Lane Kiffin, and then yeah, I think he went to USF. So I mean, it's it's not uh, it, it is kind of funny. So it's because... not a death trap for I mean, despite what people may yeah. think, it's not a death trap for assistant coaches. You know, someone was talking about. Um, the least popular position, the least popular person on a coaching staff is the offensive coordinator. Like, every fan base hates their OC in one's amount, and no more has this been true. And I'm not picking on anyone, I promise. I have no idea who wrote this, so I, I promise if you wrote this, I'm not picking on you. I read today's story that was like, 
why uh, Mike DeBoard needed to be replaced from Kansas. And I was okay. just like, oh, yeah, it was, it was time. Those those two months, like, our national nightmare is over. It's time who, to get this guy who out. Had a better get, who had a better stint at OC than Mike DeBoard? Chip Lindsey, probably, <laughs> is one month. Well, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to check the finances there, but that's basically all it would come down to, right? You weren't really asked to do anything. Yeah, I, well, DeBoard finance-wise, I mean, assuming he gets— I don't know if he gets the full 1.2 or if he gets 600000 His contract was for 1.2. Didn't you tell me, Derek, that his he changed his Twitter profile to Gone Fishing? Yeah, <laughs> that's what his like Twitter bio is. That's that the Twitter bio game was how you caught some of these guys, like guys changing their positions and responsibilities. I think Emmett Jones, who's obviously staying on staff, his new Twitter name is Emmett Jones dash wide receivers, which is very forthcoming. It tells you exactly what he does. <laughs> uh, Brian Borland, I think, accidentally changed or someone changed his whole yeah. profile of the KU stuff at one point. Yeah. Oops. Um, and then what? I, I think a couple of the other assistants took all their KU stuff out of uh, their pictures and bios and that let you know they were moving on. But yeah, I mean, again, offensive coordinator, never popular. I think you pulled up a story from years ago when Kotal uh, Nicky was on the outs. Like, people were It was really bad. They were Buffalo was really bad at the yeah. time. I think it was year, year two, two when two they went ten, two and probably. ten. Mm-hmm. So it's time for a change at OC. Yeah, and, and again, I mean, you nailed this, I think, so well when you talked about the staff. Lance Leipold's not changing his staff from guys he's had with him for 10, 14 years, multiple stops. Uh, it is atypical, like you spoke about, like you guys both did, um, to have guys from Wisconsin Whitewater, or in some cases Nebraska Omaha, to Buffalo, and then to Kansas, like to keep these staffs together. So, yeah, I mean, he's going to trust them. He's going to roll with them, and they seem like a lot of smart guys. Isn't that interesting, though, just to sit here today and know that that's coming eventually? Somebody, I'm not saying it's you or me, mm-hmm. but like somebody out there, whether it's fans or media, someone's going to write about the fact that this offense isn't working and it's not just the the pieces, it's that schematically, it's just, it, it's not fitting the personnel. Whatever the excuse is going to be, someone's going to hint at the idea or outright say, you know, Kotal Nick needs to go. Well, I mean, people made a lot of, just as quickly as people made assumptions about Brent Deerman, I think almost pretty much aptly in year one. Same thing year two, no spring, whatever, and people are very zeroed in on, nope, this is wrong, this is right, he is the guy, he mm-hmm. isn't the guy, um, you know, national perception, especially first local, but again, I, I think that's just the nature of the OC spot, and, and not to pick on anyone again, but just to say that Mike DeBoard thing highlights it so well, we never saw Mike DeBoard do anything, let alone implement I mean, his own full offense, he didn't even have a head coach directing him. And I get the point. Again, I didn't read it, but I, I get the point if you were making it that, hey, you know, Lance Leipold needs to be allowed to bring in his own guy or his own staff, whatever. Totally agree. I just think the framing in terms of, like, Mike DeBoard needed to go, it's like, whew, thank God they got him out of there since, you know, he's been there since February. Yeah, I I still, I, I mean— that guy has to be extremely pleased with how his time in Lawrence went. It has to be the best. In terms of like... It didn't strike me as a guy who was lobbying for the job <laughs> to begin with, by the way. In terms of hours of work, uh, that guy had like the best gig in the history of coaching. Yeah, he really did. He really did. And he still gets a paycheck, and now he gets to go uh, go somewhere and sit on a fishing boat. Now that we know these guys, as you mentioned, they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Brian Borland, Kotelnicki. Borland's been... I mean, Borland's story's... Really interesting to me because he was at Wisconsin Whitewater long before mm-hmm. Lance Leipold got there. I mean, before he was the DC in 2002 in the 90s, he was the defensive backs coach, which tells you that he was very firmly entrenched at that school. 
But until Lance Leipold came there, you would have probably thought he was a lifer. But Lance Leipold's clearly a guy who he's hitched his wagon to, which I don't know in the grand scheme of things what that's going to mean for Kansas. But with both he and Kotelnicki, who have who've been with him for so long, uh, it's very fascinating to me that um, that connection that it, that is very apparent between those three. Yeah, he didn't he didn't want to leave uh, Wisconsin Whitewater, and and when he did, I mean, it was Lance Leipold uh, pulling him there. And you know, I, I think the other assistants that he's bringing with him are all impressive for different reasons. Chris Simpson is one. I think he's coaching linebackers. He was assistant DC at Buffalo. Uh, he's one I've been told like future head coach possibly has that kind of potential. He's just a really bright guy, good temperament, understands recruiting, has been asked to recruit a really tough area given, you know, Buffalo's location, competing against other Mac schools, Power 5 programs, um, and just what he's been able to do. And then, yeah, I think offensively too, the thing that stands out to me about their entire staff, but especially offensively, how well they work together. And I think Andy Kotelnicki is going to be an offensive coordinator in the truest sense of the word. He he is a coordinator. He wants to take an input from not only staff members but players, uh, and that's with play calling, personnel. You know, I, I watched a, a couple videos he did, a couple interviews, and then one clinic that he did, and, and one of the things he highlighted is that you have to understand your roster to the extent of I have two good wide receivers. What does that mean? Does that mean I have good wide receivers? No, because what if one of them gets injured? And like not only understanding top talent, but understanding depth, understanding that 80% of your production comes from 20% of your players, as he put it. So the first teamers get most of the reps. You know, how often did we hear David Beatty say, everyone gets the same, everyone, whatever. And we didn't even know who the starters were when David Beatty was the coach. (laughs) Very much so, (laughs) week to week. And, And yet you have this guy in a coaching clinic, and I think this is the undisputed correct way to do it, having seen the other way, saying the first team guys get 60% of the reps, the second team guys get about 40% with some third team guys sprinkled in. And for the record, like, there is no right and wrong, but I think that's as close to being right as there is. If you're the first team guy, you should get more reps than the second team guy and the third team guy combined. You're the first team guy. I disagree with the idea that there's no right or wrong. I think... There is a wrong. There's a wrong. Well, there's a wrong. Okay, that's fair. Giving everybody the same amount of reps. I, I would agree. And and look, it's possible David Beatty was blowing smoke and, and sure. you know, really the, the starters were getting X, Y, and Z. But I think, um, and, and I'm stealing something from Jesse Newell uh, because I think he said it so smartly. We were talking about something unrelated, and he said, there are people who are smart enough to know that they can say things and they don't have to be fearful. Coaches, you know, players, people you interview. And I think that's such a, a strong example, which is he's honest about it. He's saying, yeah, if you're my starter, you're getting 60% of the reps. You're going to be featured in practice. We're going to, to work with you especially. You're going to get that extra time, you know, compared to a more inexperienced coach who might say, you know, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Everyone is equal and whatever. It's That's like insecurity. Yeah, uh, agree. It's if worrying about saying something and having it held against you later uh, because you're wrong. And, and if, if you're Puka Williams and you were getting 33% of the running backs uh, snaps and you know, whatever reps in practice, you'd, you'd be like, what is going on? I'm mm-hmm. Puka Williams. You know, I have aspirations to do more. I Haven't I established myself? And I, I think, you know, whether or not that, that actually ends up being the case, I, I think that's a guy like Andy Kotelnicki. And, you know, one other really interesting thing I thought he said, um, he likes being tight ends coach because he thinks as an offensive coordinator, it's good to have a position group that's involved in both the run game and the pass game. And I found that, like, fascinating because not just – 
his comparison to Emmett Jones, who was the receivers coach, but and this is from before the Kansas thing was even a thing, so this wasn't like directly about Emmett Jones. But he specifically mentioned wide receivers coaches and said, you know, I would want to if I were a wide receivers coach, I'm spending a lot of my time on the passing game. I'm not spending as much in the run game. And he said, vice versa, if I'm the O line coach, I'm not working with the quarterback and the receivers, and so I don't have a good handle on that. Um, I think this guy is truly like all in on collaboration, and that's the perfect example that he said. You know, granted, I think he was the tight ends coach at the time. So, again, he could just be a guy, you know, saying whatever about his current position, but basically saying, I want to be involved in the run and pass game if I'm going to be a coordinator. So, tight ends coach is kind of the perfect position. It's what he's doing at Kansas, too. Uh, I think that's genuine to who he is. He seems based on collaboration, understanding that it's good to have a lot of plays, but you don't want to have too many. You don't want to make things too difficult. And I think that extends to just about everything he does. Well, continuity has been a big buzzword with this new staff and with the new head coach, but I think another one that you just kind of spoke to is clarity. Yeah, There's not going to be a ton of confusion as to, well, who's really calling the plays there, which has been a problem under the last two head coaches. Yeah, think about this. They had two guys with play-calling duties at Buffalo, and I would argue the question of who is calling the plays was much less of an issue than it was at Kansas when allegedly one guy was calling mm-hmm. the plays. And, and, you know, mostly because at least when you're when you're up front, when you explain how your philosophy is going to work, especially, you know, a place like Buffalo where you're taking an in, you know, input from all these different coaches, you have a quarterback's coach, you have your OC, whatever. It's like you can see the pieces and how they turn out on the field and how it all works together. They led the nation in rushing. Uh, one year they led the Mac in passing, you know, 3,000 passing yards back-to-back years. Then it becomes rushing, whatever. At Kansas – it's like you could see the opposite. You could see the struggle. You could see times, especially in Les Miles' first year, where it was uh, an RPO offense, free-flowing, pass the ball, you know, throw it all over, and then where they're going to run that that toss-dive play up the middle 100 times. And it was so stark to me to watch, like, two so contrasting offenses, sometimes in the same game. I think the Iowa State game might have been one of them. Um where it's just like, this is not one offense, this is not one offensive coordinator, this is truly two, and and it doesn't work the same way, you know, I don't believe two quarterbacks works, uh, as well as just picking one and going with it. So I think that cohesion and that, you know, just an understanding from assistant to assistant and trust, that's probably the biggest word of all of this, trust. Uh, I think that goes so far into, you know, having a staff that works together and does well. Now, again, if this fails, people will say, oh, it's the coach's fault, oh, it's the assistant's, whatever. But you know, at a certain point, like, I would doubt that. I, I don't—Lance Leipold will not fail at Kansas because of Lance Leipold and his assistants. He's shown that his infrastructure flat-out works. Yeah. If, if they fail, it will be because of other reasons that, you know, I'm not saying they'll be blameless and impossible to predict the future, but it, it'll probably be mostly out of their control. But, the, but go through it for, with the last two staffs because it's not just that—it's a part of it is when you lose, people ask more questions. When you yeah. lose, the, the focus is heightened. But it's also, if you say one thing and then your actions indicate another thing, that raises more questions as well. And the big one is, do you do you know what you're doing? You know, and I mentioned this to you before, like watching David Beatty's introductory press conference, you can't draw too much from an introductory press conference, let alone any press conference. But just listening to that in retrospect and hearing him speak like someone auditioning for a job rather than someone secure about his placement in the job. And the contrast, you know, with Lance Leipold is so stark. Now, the Les Miles thing was a completely different kind of spectacle. It's hard to figure out how to even, like, analyze that in the post, especially because 
look, obviously, they brought in good talent to Kansas. They just lost one of their guys to Tennessee and one of their other guys. I mean, it looks like he's going to either Auburn or Tennessee, and those are two defensive linemen. That tells you you've done a pretty good job stockpiling defensive linemen, but obviously there are a bunch of other issues with that. And again, staff continuity, that was something we talked about that they absolutely did not have. This is a situation now where it it feels like Lance Leipold has walked the line a lot better of being realistic. Uh, It's a... It's a very funny contrast when you see, like, I'm, I'm not dogging anyone for this. The Kansas football Twitter account, for example, putting out hype videos with, like, Lance Leipold quotes because he's he's just, like, the most understated. Like, he's a, he's a, a nice— It's almost refreshing. Yeah, just a very understated guy. And then it's, like, blaring music and, hot, you know, exciting explosions, yeah. everything. And it's, like, Lance Leipold did not have a hand. Like, this was made for— I Le- doubt Lance Leipold <laughs> walked into the social media coordinator's office and said, Hey, I got an idea. <laughs> I got an idea for a video. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I watched them introduce this, uh, the staff. They put out a video where they all just introduce themselves, and they're like, somebody throws a football, and somebody off-frame catches it. I love that, by the way. It's, but that, to me, was like, that part of it was so genuine to me. I was like, these are just like a bunch of football coaches who are like buds. And and look, I know five of them are new. Five of them are, are Kansas holdovers. But, you know, I, I well, I imagine that had to be some of Kansas's doing, some of you know, hey, can you keep some of these guys around? Or maybe here are your financial limitations on, on you know, an assistant pool. It just seems like a staff that's going to be able to work together, especially if they're able to keep a lot of those guys together. I think that's really important. But I, I think assistants like Emmett Jones, who have stuck around, Quant Drake, Jeffs Jackson, you know, Jake Schoonover is one that he's from Kansas City area. He has roots. He wants to stick around. I mean, that's the kind of guy you should target, you know, in keeping. And Jonathan Wallace is the fifth guy. I didn't mean to leave him out. It's just he's newer. But I think you have at least two or three guys who are really going to want to stick around for a while. And, you know, if Lance Leipold brings a couple analysts he feels comfortable promoting, then that's a that's a pretty good group of assistants. Talking to Scott Chasen of Fog.net here on Rock Chuck Sports Talk. I don't know why I've convinced myself of this over the last couple of days, but we're all kind of guessing as to what this offense is going to look like because, as you mentioned, they've been very malleable and adaptable uh, over their time at Buffalo. Talking about Leipold and his OC and DC. Specifically on offense, though, I've convinced myself that it's going to be the Devin Neal show (laughs) this year. If only because he's the only guy that I know, and which is crazy to say about a true freshman, but, I mean, top recruit in the class, He's got prototypical running back size. He's not Puka Williams, who's 5'8", a buck 75 soaking wet. This guy is built like a NFL running back prototype. Yeah. It would not shock me whatsoever to just say, you know what, you're going to get 200, 250 touches this year. Yeah, and look, it'll, it'll be as much as he can handle. It was the same approach. It was how much do we think this guy can handle versus um, how often does he need the ball or, or whatever. It was. Yeah, he, he can have as many But there were games he- where Puka got... Yeah. Single-digit touches. Certainly games where he didn't get as many carries as he should have, and the same was probably true of Khalil Herbert. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go all Kevin Flaherty and drop a modus operandi or whatever he said. on Derek thought he was—okay, so Derek heard him say that. He cuts my mic off during Kevin's answer, and he goes, are we being—is this guest hijinks? Is Kevin hijinking us? Because he'd never heard— an phrase. M.O. Yeah, yeah, that's what I explained to him. When I, when I heard him drop that, I think that's Latin would be my guess. Actually, I don't think, I, I don't it know is. if that's it Latin. It is, it is. Yeah. Both um, you guys, come on. Yeah, I just knew what it meant. I just heard him say it, and I was like, wow, surprisingly <laughs> scholarly from my colleague at, at 24-7 Sports. Uh, no, but I mean, yeah, I mean, they're going to play to their strengths. Uh, they're going to, they're going to run the ball because, and, and here's the thing, they're not averse to it. Lance Leipold, former quarterback, whatever, 
he likes to throw the ball. He likes to run the ball. He just likes to do what works. And that that was the thing talking or, or listening rather uh, to tell uh, Kotal Nikki. Well, I you got, got it. That. You're he, the one who told me. Yeah, you're the one who's been throwing me off. But um, <laughs> no, I, I, he really talked about you need to know your strengths and then you need to prepare like I mentioned, for injuries, for things that can go wrong. You know, I thought it was really interesting. Part of their game plan on a week-to-week basis is like, what if the weather's bad? What if this guy gets injured? Do we have enough plays that we don't have to tear up half our playbook, half our call sheet, if it doesn't work? And, you know, he only wants about 90 to 105 plays on the call sheet. I think Buffalo averaged around, give or take, 70, 75 plays based off what they had done the last couple years. And so, for him, that means you, you take 170 that you maybe work on, you whittle that down, 95, 100, and then you've got your game plan. And different cave coaches have done it different ways. Uh, when it was the Les Miles and what Les Caning show, there were, I would say, way fewer than that. I think a, a true Brent Deerman offense would have more plays than that. And it's worth noting, in, in that specific case, there are OCs who do it differently. It depends on your personnel, what they can handle. Uh, and guys have been super successful with a million plays, and guys have been super successful with very few. But he has a very nailed-down philosophy that's not going to change. And I, I think that's the most important thing. And he said this in a coaching clinic. It's, it's that you have to have your philosophies, and players have to understand they're not going to change. Now, they have to be loose enough that you don't turn off creativity, both from players and by coaches. But you have to have those systems in place. And I don't see there being a tug of war like I think you've seen the last, I was going to say the last couple of years, but probably the last few coaches would be the better way to put it. I, I think you'll see philosophically, even as the offense shifts more one way or the other, a little bit more, you know, RPO to pass the ball, a little bit more zone read, whatever, zone concepts. Um, I, I think you'll see at the very least, more comfort from the players and more consistency in terms of, yes, this is this is one scheme. Okay, so we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but you cover recruiting mm-hmm. extensively. We know that Lance Leipold has already stated, which he should, every coach has said, few have followed through on it, mm-hmm. that you're going to target in-state guys. We went over the list earlier this week. It is so razor thin. Yep. I mean, the, the amount of guys that KU has gotten from the state of Kansas that have actually made an impact sure. at Kansas, if if were to believe Lance Leipold, and they are going to go out and recruit those kids, knowing the types of kids that are out there to be had in the state, what would that lend itself towards this offense looking like and transforming into over the coming years? That's a really good question because when I think of some of the best players in the state of Kansas, there are a couple quarterbacks in 2023 uh, that I think could obviously shape an offense. And, and if you want to count, I know Conrad Hawley is from Missouri, but obviously at Ray Peck, he's pretty close yeah. by. I think Kansas players... This is kind of the cliche answer I normally, or a cliche answer I normally don't like to give, but I think it actually applies in this case because of like the nature of Kansas State versus Kansas, which is a lot of Kansas kids have a chip on their shoulder from the perspective of they haven't always been prioritized and recruited. Maybe the elite talents especially get picked up by by bigger schools or whatever, um, but that hasn't always been the case. And I think about like a duo at Eudora, uh, Jaden Ham and Jaden Bender, two players, one a tight end, one a a wide receiver that KU is going after. And, and I guess Ham could actually play on the defensive side of the ball. Both of those guys, right now Ham, not Bender, will get to national recruitments. And, you know, we'll have a lot of different options to leave the Big 12, leave the area. To me, that's the kind of place that Kansas should be calling, you know, every day and saying, hey, we want you, we care about you at Kansas. You know, it's, it's different than the way other places care about you. You're one of whatever you're ours, you're from our state, you know, you're right down the road, you're not leaving. And when you build up a program like that, I'm not saying it's going to be all Kansas guys. I think 
Oklahoma. I think the Midwest to the north actually may end up being a bigger area for Kansas than has previously been because I think that's where a lot of the staff ties are. I think you can build kind of a hard-nosed chip on your shoulder, and this is where the cliche stuff comes in, mentality of kids who feel like they're already in a community when they're coming to campus, that they know each other, they know the area, and they kind of want to stick it to some other people and say, yeah, like there's quality, there's good football in the Midwest for Kansas State. It's Kansas didn't recruit me hard enough, well enough, early enough, whatever. We're going to stick it to Kansas. We heard that from Wyatt Hubert last year, yeah, one of the best players in the Big 12. You heard it from guys who grew up K-State fans who wanted to go to K-State the whole time and were never going to look at Kansas, yeah. but they still say it. And so I think you can build an identity when you have a lot of those kids. Again, that's not saying all your kids because you, you've got to get kids from everywhere, especially nowadays, and there's so much talent out there. Uh, but I, I think that's where you start to build kind of that, that tough, hard-nosed, chip-on-your-shoulder mentality. And if it lends itself more to passing the ball because you land a great local quarterback, terrific. If it's more running the ball, there's some talent there for that, too. I, I think there's talent around. Are there... Do you have to repair those relationships, though, first? Like, are there is there a reputation out there? We've heard it from individual kids, but do you believe that there is that reputation for schools that are like, oh, I know you're selling me this bill of goods, but I heard it from the last coach and the guy before that, and they never came through with anything? I think Kansas was starting to repair some of those under less miles. Probably not well enough, but, like, Joshua Urgel was one in particular. But that was a name I, I heard popping up of, like, hey, this guy is is coming out and is, is really trying to prioritize some local places. So, And obviously, you know, it doesn't look like – certainly he's not an assistant right now. It doesn't look like he'll be on staff, I guess, though nothing technically has been announced. Um, I, I think there's – there's room to go to continue to recruit those guys more. Now, they have landed some, not a bunch, but some players locally. So I think there there is like a starting point of foundation. But, you know, keeping Schoonover is a, a big deal. Guy with Kansas City ties. Guy will get you in the door with a lot of those coaches. Lance Leipold just spoke to uh, Kansas City Coaches Association. So I, I think they're taking the good first steps. But what you just talked about, what happens now is insignificant compared to you know, let's see the next 12 months, let's see the next 24, 36, 48 months, and is Kansas continuing to take kids, to offer kids, to get in early on kids, and maybe even take some risks on kids from this area compared to saying, you know, I'd, I'd rather have the, you know, 186th best guy in Texas yeah. compared to the 14th best guy in Kansas. And and for the record, I'm, I'm not dogging that way of doing it because, for the record, that's how you get some really good talent on your roster. That's how you get a guy like Karan Prunty on your roster, who wasn't the most highly graded out guy, at least until the very end when Virginia and Virginia Tech and whatever all of a sudden jump in on him. So you get good players both ways. I'm not saying there's a right and a wrong way, but I think if you want to make that your identity, you probably have to prioritize that a little more. It's interesting you say that because I agree with you. You can still, and when you go back, people always want to cite the Orange Bowl team and they say, well, look at guys like Daryl Stuckey and Brandon McAnderson, which is absolutely true. But you know who else they had on that team? Todd Reesing and Aqib Tlaib. Yeah. And where'd they get those kids? Under-recruited guys from the the state of Texas. And it's not, I'm not trying to make this all about Texas, sure. but it's the idea that nobody's saying you have to go out there and fill the roster full of Kansas kids. Yeah. It's that when you are giving scholarships to these Kansas kids, these unranked guys, because when you look at the best players that K-State has gotten from Kansas, they're not all top a thousand kids. Yeah. They are unranked guys and they found like in player evaluation, they found the right fits and they developed them. And that's all I think anybody w- should want to see from this staff when it comes to getting Kansas kids. Find the right ones and develop them. And, and just to that point, I think that's something Lance Leipold said, which is uh, they want to divide the region up. They want to get a lot of different assistant eyes to be able to find those kids. And for the record, I, I think that's the next step. Football in the state of Kansas, Kansas City area, 
it's it's come a long way. I am by no means the foremost expert on Kansas City football, whatever. I'm 26. I haven't been around to see the last three decades, whatever, of, of football recruiting in this area. But what I have seen is even the growth of the last decade and, and even split that into a half decade and say that the quality of football, especially in the 2022 and 2023 classes, it, it's really improving. And I find it hard to believe that there's going to be this positive trend where, hey, there's talent, then there's more talent, then there's even more talent, and then it's like, oh, and now there's no talent in the state. 2024 mm-hmm. rolls around and it's over. I, I think, I'm, I'm not saying this is going to become the new Texas or Florida or whatever, but I, I do think there's legitimate talent. Kansas State has shown that. I think probably enough talent for multiple D1 FBS programs to actually be good enough. Now, probably not all getting every guy they want. But you extend that a little bit north, you you start looking at the Midwest, you know, areas like, um, I guess they're not technically Midwest, or, or maybe they are like Wisconsin, you know, going up north, Michigan, Ohio, that kind of that kind of area. And now all of a sudden you're, again, building a, a geographic identity where you, you say, hey, this is the place we really want to target, we want to nail, and then, yeah, we'll add a couple guys from Florida, from Texas, from California, you know, whatever your staff ties allow for. I think there's that possibility, and I think the staff in infrastructure, especially with Emmett Jones and, and what he'll continue to be able to do in Texas, uh, I think that really lends itself well to that. He's Scott Chasen. You can check out his work, fog.net, 247sports.com. Say it one more time for us. Codal Nicky. Codal Nicky. Codal Nicky. All right. that's wrong, it's not my fault. Yeah, okay, I've said that before, and I've been wrong, so I'm just going to let you know, even though you tried to add that caveat in, people are still going to blame you because you were the foremost expert to start mm-hmm. this interview. Kotal Nicky. Kotal Nicky. He's Scott Chasen. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. Breaking news. This important PSA is brought to you by Manscaped.com. This is your pubic service announcement and the news you've all been waiting for. The Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. This new trimmer was just released only moments ago, and we are one of the first to get our hands on it and share the news. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. You may be thinking... I already have a trimmer. Why would I need a new one? What makes this trimmer different than all other trimmers? Let me tell you. How about this? A new multifunction on-off switch can engage a travel lock created for people who like to travel. The Lawnmower 4.0 gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off when needed for a more precise shave. The new trimmer even allows you to customize your trim all over through additional guard links with sizes 1 through 4. And looks-wise, it's sleek with a two-toned matte and gloss finish. Even features a hot foil stamped black chrome Manscaped logo. Show that mower off loud and proud. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code RCST at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code RCST. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Have you seen every single one of the NFL... Uh, schedule release videos that each team has put out. Have you taken no, the time yet? I saw a couple of them. I, I mean, they're all really creative and really good. It's yeah. just like eventually, you know. Well, the Chiefs put the Chiefs just did a mashup of Andy Reid saying, "I look forward that's, to the challenge" because he does that good. every single week. So every single team, I look forward to the challenge playing the Browns. I look forward to the challenge playing the Ravens. That video was like two minutes long. It probably took about two minutes to make. The Cowboys, this is the only, I've only watched two team videos. The Cowboys 
had like a three-minute music video featuring Post Malone and Jerry Jones playing beer pong and him putting his, uh, Post Malone putting his chain on Jerry Jones. And I sent the video to my friend Kevin from Dallas. Shout out to Kevin if he's listening. Big Jayhawk fan. And I sent the video, the Twitter link to him with the caption, die four times. And I'm not saying I want either one of those people to die. It's just the idea that I want that to, like, that idea, just die. Just that video needs to go away. And I've honestly, because of, maybe it's because of Kevin, my buddy, but I've never had that same hatred that I feel like a lot of people are born with for Dallas sports teams, mainly the Cowboys, right? Um, But now I have it. And he said, he said, America's team, baby, we do it big as bleep, which is true. That's that's factually correct. That's why the Cowboys did it that way, because they're the Cowboys and they can't just do something small. It has to be this big, grandiose spectacle. But now I hope the Cowboys are the first team to go 0-17 in NFL history. That's never been done, right? I have not fact-checked that, but correct. Because, it's I mean, possible. It's not like there's a consolation bracket. Well, you can't like you can't like fall backwards into the playoffs at 0 and 16. No, you know that's impossible as well. So it would be possible for the Cowboys to go 0 and 17 this year. Yeah, not likely, but possible on the table. Ooh, I wonder if we have to check though. Did the I guess the Buccaneers or the Saints teams that I don't remember if they went 0 and like 14, if they would have gone only a 14 game season because I know at one point and I don't even know if these collided. At one point back in the day, they used to do the like the senior bowl team. So basically the college senior all stars would play like the worst team in the NFL. What? Yeah, it was like a it was a very short lived thing. This might have been like the fifties or sixties. I don't know if that ever happened. Well, we should bring that back, obviously. <laughs> it makes for a great debate now. Will Alabama would Alabama yeah. beat the Jaguars? We see it a lot more we'll in, see it. in basketball. And that's the thing. Even the people who say, Well, dude, the Jaguars would kill Bama. Well, let's see it. I'm not arguing with you. I, I want to see you. I want to see it. Yeah, like, and you say, well, we don't need to see it. I go, well, we don't need to see 90% of college football games that are played every single year because how many times is Alabama up 42 to nothing at halftime? Yeah. Give and take we don't, their own medicine. Do we need to see that? No, but I want to see it. Okay, it was called the Chicago Charities College All-Star Game. It was a preseason American football game. It was played from 1934 to 1976. Wow, they played it for that long. And I was actually wrong. I thought it was the worst NFL team. Tell me it's the best. It was the NFL champions and a team of star college seniors. Was that at a time, like at this time, did were people unsure of which league was better? Were the, was that what they were trying to accomplish? Or was it just purely for charity and they didn't care that one team was going to wax the other team? Did the college team ever win? Can you give me year-by-year year scoring charts? Well, year one, they got a draw. Zero, zero. I mean, this is 1934, so at that time, you could have had better players in the college. Give me, like, the 1976 like, box score. Okay. Uh, the last time it was ever played, 1976, the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the college All-Stars 24-0. That's not that bad. No, it's not. That's not that bad. Yeah. I mean, 24 to nothing is a bigger win in the NFL right. than it is in college. And, and think about this, though. If it's a preseason game and it's played in July, they're probably yeah, playing how hard? a lot of the second and third yeah. string guys. How hard are these? That hard. How yeah. hard are the NFL, the guys who just won the Super Bowl? I'm trying to see <laughs> how if the hard are they? Or the, the championship? How hard are they going? Dude, the 1969 Jets that won the Super Bowl, they only beat the college All Stars 26 24. 
Again, I can't imagine. They're like, you know what? We got to show it. We got to prove ourselves. Chiefs, after winning the Super Bowl, beat them 24-3. to Okay, here we go. I found the, the most recent here college all-star win. 1963, the college all-stars defeated the Green Bay Packers 20-17. to Suck it, Vince Lombardi. Yeah, yeah. Not all you're cracked up to be, huh, bud? You know, the schedule came out yesterday, and everybody dives through it, and, and that's fine and gets excited and does the score predictions, and that's great. I don't have a problem with the frenzy around the NFL releasing their schedule and the excitement. It's all fine. But I think the way we talk about schedules in the NFL, especially this time of year, is really dumb. Because if you're if you're talking about it in any certain way, I want you to remember it. I want you to write this down and archive, whether you're writing about it or talking about it, I want you to archive it and look back on it when we're halfway through the regular season. And I want you to check and see if you're still talking about what the schedule means then as you are now. Because what we'll talk about now is how easy or difficult a team's schedule is. I look at the Chiefs' schedule... It looks incredibly difficult to me. I mean, I still, like I said, yes, I think I said the Chiefs would go 14-2, and two, forgot there was a 17th game. Idiot. Uh, but there's no layups on this schedule. Maybe the Giants, um, the Bengals, the Broncos, if they don't get if they don't get Aaron Rodgers, but that's a division game. I feel game, like so. one of the divisional teams will end up kind of sucking. It's just Yeah, the know. Eagles. I mean, there's some teams that you would say, okay, the Chiefs will win pretty handily there, but there's also a lot of really, really good teams. Um, a lot of playoff teams from a season ago, and that's what happens when you are a marquee team. The league wants you to see you play other marquee teams. But, but as, much as, we, too, as much as we look at this, like how much are we going to look back on it if right. the Chiefs wax all these teams through a month and say, ah, oh, none of those teams actually ended up being that good? Yeah, that's the thing. Like part of this, I mean, you might highlight right now and say the hardest game the Chiefs have to play is the Packers in like week nine or week 11. I forget which it is. You might say the easiest game they have to play is the Giants. What happens if all of a sudden like Daniel Jones has a Josh Allen breakout season? Unlikely, but it happens. And Saquon Barkley's back. And all of a sudden the Giants with Kenny Galladay too, they've, they've like one of the most explosive offense in the NFL. And all of a sudden, like, now the Giants, a game that we thought was one of their easier games, is a hard game, and Aaron Rodgers gets traded from the Packers, and all of a sudden, that's an easy game. You, you just don't know right now. You don't know what's going to happen over the course of the season with injuries. And, and I think another thing we do that's kind of a, a flawed way of looking at this is you'll calculate the team winning percentage based on who is on that schedule, what their winning percentage was last year yeah. when they're different teams now. I actually saw Warren Sharp... Uh, said something about this, where if you're looking at preseason schedules, you should base it on Vegas odds. What is Vegas predicting that team to do in terms of over-under win total? Don't look at, oh, they won 11 games last year. Vegas might say, no, they're supposed to win seven and a half. What's the over-under total on Browns wins this year? Because that's the Chiefs' first week opponent. And this is what's hilarious to me is the Browns, once again, for the third straight year, are becoming this sexy sleeper team. They are the team that watch out for the Browns. Usually that doesn't happen. Usually it's like you fool us once, maybe we'll give you another shot. But after that, it's like no, you're no longer. Well, yeah, because they were supposed to be good two years ago. They weren't, and then last year people were like, well, they got rid of Freddie Kitchens, so now they'll be good, and then they were. So of course now it's well, then you're definitely going to be good again. So half the people are saying, well, this is a sexy team, and the other half are saying, well, they didn't really beat anybody last year, right? Who were their Who were their good wins against? I would caution you. If you're engaging in that sort of rhetoric, because what were we saying about the Chiefs at the end of the regular season? When they snuck by the Falcons, when they snuck by the Saints, when the Dolphins were beating them for the entire game and they came back and won late. 
They beat the Broncos by six points. They beat the Bucks by three. They beat the Raiders by four. They beat the Panthers by two. What were we saying? I remember NFL Network, uh, the Good Morning or Good Football. Good Morning Football. Good Morning Football. They were talking about how but the Chiefs aren't blowing anybody out, and we kind of laughed it off at the time. And they said, "Well, they're still winning. Like, what about the teams that are actually losing these games?" And we got to the end of the season, and they said, "What were their impressive wins? What did it end up meaning? What did it end up meaning? Nothing." And the NFL, the regular season, means a lot more than it does in some other sports. But for a team like the Chiefs, I ask you, does it really mean that much? If you know that the Chiefs are going to be one of the top three teams in the AFC, and for a lot of people, they're a shoe in to be number one or two, right? But if you know that, if you would be shocked, like we would be shocked if the Chiefs ended up being like a bubble team. It could happen, but it would be pretty shocking. Are we going to look back on it if that happens and say, well, it's because of the schedule. The schedule is too hard. They had one of the toughest schedules in the NFL. Or are we going to look back on it and say they just weren't as good as we thought they were going to be for whatever reason? They had injuries. Some players didn't pan out. Whatever the case may be. We're not going to go back and blame it on the schedule. The only teams the schedule matters for or that will act like the schedule mattered for are the bubble teams. Are the ones that we don't know if they're any good right now or if you think they're on the fringe and they end up being on the fringe. Or the ones you think are going to stink and end up being a little bit better than you thought. That's the only teams where we're going to talk about the schedule actually mattering. Everybody else, it's just fodder right now. So that's why I'm saying, if you're excited about it, that's great. But I feel like there are more useful ways we can discuss the schedule other than just saying this team's getting screwed and this team's got it easy. Yeah, uh, I would definitely not even want to go into the whole schedule thing either, to be completely honest. I would almost just view it as let's just approach week one. You know, and if you want to look ahead one week or something, it'll be like, well, here's the first couple weeks. But I almost just say, like, center it in on the first week because of everything we just talked about. You don't know how many guys are going to get injured in the preseason. You don't know how many guys are going to get injured in week one. You don't know what quarterbacks are going to be starting for certain teams, like with the 49ers. Will it be Jimmy G? Will it be Trey Lance? There's so many questions that we don't know right now that, for me, it just seems a little silly. to Like, we don't do this in other sports. We don't, and part of it is is the amount of games with the NFL. It's seventeen. You know, you're not going to pick win losses for an 82 game NBA season or 162 MLB season. Like we don't do this in college basketball. But you, you know what's so funny about that is that in college basketball, which I mean, we're not only cross comparing levels, we're cross comparing sports. This is never done. Who compares the NFL to college basketball? We do. Rock Chuck Sports Talk. In college basketball, when you play 30 plus games. There's a higher likelihood of a high major team going undefeated in college basketball than there is a team playing half as many games in the NFL in a more competitive league, right? Yeah. Which is, again, I just I mean, said we it almost there. saw it with Gonzaga. It's, it's more right. competitive, right. but Gonzaga is mid-major. Baylor, high yeah. major. If Baylor doesn't get hit with the COVID, they're probably going undefeated throughout the season. We don't talk about Baylor's schedule knowing that they had a gauntlet of a schedule playing through the Big 12. On paper, it would seem so obvious that an NFL team is more likely to go undefeated if they if the schedule falls their way. In college basketball, you have double the amount of games, and it's still more likely to happen than it is in the NFL. What does that tell you about schedule? And we know who you're going to play every year, unless you know you go out and just schedule this gauntlet of of a non-conference schedule in college basketball. It's just kind of weird the way we talk about it. Speaking of college basketball, Ty Ty Washington chose Kentucky last night. Bryce Thompson 
chose Oklahoma State earlier today. So just a double whammy, a double whammy of middle fingers to KU, a double whammy of slaps in the face of, look at what's going on. Ty Ty Washington, your number one target. He's going to play for not one of your biggest rivals, but one of your biggest contemporaries in your blue blood rivalries uh, in Kentucky. And Bryce Thompson, you don't get to just forget about him. You don't get, just get to say, oh, I wonder what Bryce Thompson is up to. No, you, you're going to know what Bryce Thompson's up to when he's playing in the Big 12 every night and going up against you twice a year for at least another season, but I would guess he's got a couple of years left there. Uh, neither one of them are surprises. There wasn't much linking to Ty Ty Washington to Kansas over the last couple of weeks, and Bryce Thompson told you yesterday it was going to be Oklahoma State or Oklahoma. I don't think you'd feel any better if he wound up at Oklahoma. Also, Tulsa was in the mix, but from a playing time standpoint, Oklahoma State doesn't make a lot of sense for Bryce Thompson because aside from Cade Cunningham, I mean, they return everybody. I mean, they return their three starting guards. I know Bryce was kind of your do-it-all point forward, but Avery Anderson, Avery Anderson, uh, Isaac Likely, and Rondell Walker. Now, I'm not saying that Bryce Thompson couldn't start over any of those guys, but if we're getting into the comp- if we're getting into the conversation of, well, he's going to compete against those guys for playing time. He could win out. He could lose. Isn't that the exact same conversation we were having about him? in his sophomore season at Kansas. I'm not saying there aren't other reasons why he chose to go to Oklahoma State. It's just odd for if you have the option to leave and go somewhere else after a season that didn't go the way you wanted it to, it just seemed like you would obviously choose a place where you have a, a better line to to play right away. It would just be weird to me to see him go to Oklahoma State and still be like a guy coming off the bench. Yeah, the only reason that it makes sense to leave is if you didn't get along with teammates, you didn't get along with your head coach, which it doesn't seem like either of those was happening. I mean, it seemed like you had a great relationship there with Bill Self. I, I said this yesterday, and I think it just rings true. I think it's just a guy who was homesick, and he just wanted to go home. Probably so. He's from Tulsa, so... Uh, I hope he. I hope he gets right. It's weird. Like that was kind of the same thing that happened with Quentin Grimes from the Houston area. Came to Kansas for a year. Didn't go the way he wanted it to. Transferred back to the home area. Had a lot of success there. So but Oklahoma State's going to a Final Four. I don't know years? if Oklahoma State's going to a Final Four. I mean, uh, whereas Thompson's got a thing there was already for a level, programs with. Uh, I think there was a level of success that that Houston had reached that Oklahoma State hadn't. And, and now he's going to another school that... Kelvin Sampson had a little bit more success than Mike Boynton. cloud of the uh, NCAA tournament postseason ban over it. And somebody tweeted at me earlier today and said, any rumblings on Boynton tampering? Oh. <laughs> Let's start one right now. Yeah, rumblings. What do you mean, tampering? The guy transferred like a month and a half ago, and then, um, then he ends up at Oklahoma State, and you're wondering, <laughs> what's going on? Something fishy here. Uh, no, dude, what? <laughs> And even if there is, you know what? Yeah, maybe there is. Maybe everybody's tampering. is because it's college basketball and they're texting each other all the time. The oh, same- so now you're on board with it with me. Talked about this with DeJon Terry coming I'm on, full circle. I'm on board with the idea that it could happen. Ah, I'm not on board there. with the idea that it did happen here. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwartz. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk.
get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's, unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations, and there are a lot of them, unlimited guest service, most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. 